What's going on, everybody? This is Tooch Talks, episode three. I am Tooch, and I will be talking. Got a good conversation for you today with a buddy of mine who's an aerospace scientist. We get into some of the different missions in the past, stuff they're looking for in the future, uh, talk about science in general and its function and its purpose, what it can tell us, what it can't tell us. It sounded kind of plosive Was that... Should I put this pop filter on? I don't know. I'm going to try and record this, see how it sounds. I'm uh, having a difficult time figuring out, for those of you who don't know what a pop filter is, it's basically for when you say the word pop, that you don't get that hard P plosive sound on there. But the microphone, I just it doesn't feel quite as intimate. It feels like there's a barrier between you guys and the feelings I'm trying to tell you about. So I'm going to try no pop filter and then go back and hear what it sounds like. Can't really tell you any more about the guest due to the nature of his work. I don't even really want to get into it here. This is some serious James Bond secret agent of space type shit. What are you Googling over there? Cassini stuff for looking at um, basically, um, gosh damn it, it's, why can't I think of a damn planet now, uh, for Saturn, and then uh, Juno stuff, which is Jupiter. Yeah. And what is Cassini? Uh, so it's just a spacecraft that was at one point alive and orbiting Alive uh, that had sentience. I mean, yeah. I mean, it had something, you know. When you're <laughs> when you're building it, there's some sort of germs and you know just small little microorganisms that grow on it. So, but it didn't have it. its own separate thinking system. You guys aren't that far along yet. I mean, so it has like AI, and it has like it. It does make some decisions on its own, but Whoa. it's like I, I actually I could be wrong for that one because it is an older mission. I think it was developed like in the '90s, so. I was going to say, um, but the newer basically ones. we do, we do command a lot of the stuff of the passes and they have a set idea of science of what they're trying to actually do. And every time it passes it, you know, they have a, a, a mission and an objective of what they're trying to do. And so based on the data that they get back to then on subsequent passes, based on basically how close they're trying to go to the planet, mm. they can figure out. Uh, you know what to do next but for like for cassini was cool because they um at one point got within like got really close to the the rings and the different small little space rocks and ice that's out there basically that formed the rings so they were able to take really good and close images of the of the rings and were able to tell you know and have a better idea of how Saturn was constructed and really like the what how old it really is and when it was formed and how all these things kind of came to be. And so I think still they're getting back NASA's getting back some data really figuring out what the origins of everything is, but I know one of the main findings was that they thought that the rings were something that in a cosmic scale is actually fairly new as opposed to they thought it was, you know, millions of years older than it really was so that was one of the cool things that they got back but cassini is interesting because it was out there for a long time and then because uh saturn has moons that we possibly would want to go to at some point um they didn't want to have any chance that cassini would crash into those moons and like further contaminate the planet with you know whatever earth uh, microorganisms that we brought along with it for the spacecraft. So they basically crashed Cassini directly into uh, Saturn just to make sure that that wouldn't happen and there wouldn't be that transfer of, of organisms. Of, so we don't necessarily bring life to 
right a different especially planet with or... the search for life if we start putting life out there then we're screwing the game up yeah and that's the main thing that everyone really wants to see scientists obviously have their own agendas and objectives and that's why they come up with these uh missions and they build these instruments in order to find what they're really looking for but to the average viewer and the public that's i think ultimately what people want to know is is there alien life out there and is it possible that how we were able to start life here on earth is that possible and can that translate to other other places based on the habitats and what we kind of see as far as what's actually physically on the ground of these moons or planets whatever it may be and you know if you're finding life like that's one-way ticket to a nobel prize oh like for that's sure. you know, that's the cutting edge of research well and really. that's i mean that's as humans i feel like that's one of our main missions and, and goals and something that we've really strove for is that it's like there's like the deep abyss of space of it is just ever ever expanding right literally right and the expanding yeah. universe yeah and who who knows what's out there so if there's something that's within our solar system that further can prove that even if we can you know if there are the building blocks of life then that means we can translate that even further to in different galaxies and things like that of i mean it's the odds are there because it's ever expanding but same time who knows until you find it it's it's not really there so if you remove the question of looking for life what would you say to someone who doesn't think that space exploration is valuable um i mean that's their opinion but it's it's like with anything in science or math or anything you're doing um drumming you know it's like you're always trying to get better at what you do and unlock different questions and and answer some of those questions that you have and that's what that's what space and, and science is all about. So um, I think that's the one real unique thing about science is you can dive right into it. And no matter what, more and more, the more and more hours and time that's spent, you know, you learn and you gain so much and you gain this appreciation of really what people before you have done, which is a really big thing in for space because everything that NASA does is on legacy. Um, and you you learn and you find out new things, which is, you know, unbelievable of just seeing all the findings from Cassini and uh, for Ju or Juno, which is orbiting Jupiter right now and all the Mars missions and all these space telescopes. They all they tell us so many different things about the origins of of life and ultimately where we came from. So it, it always leads back to that same question of where did we come from how did we end up being here what made us a species that was able to adapt enough to make it to this point and science is the thing that kind of um really surrounds all of that without science and without um inquiry and you know asking questions it's you, you don't have any of that you're you're just living your your life day to day and you're just seeing what's face value rather than stuff that's a lot more you know dense and obscure and sure. stuff You're that jumping into the gray area instead of being in black and white and right like for every question well, that science answers it feels like it just brings up well, 10 new ones you know for sure and that what you discover makes it black and white right you have to make those discoveries first of the gray area to to either say it's one side or the other and that's what you know it as you said, it, science, you, you start with one question and then you kind of go down this rabbit hole of you just kind of stumble into more and more things and you learn more and more based on the instrument that you're studying or, or whatever it is, really. How much, how much do you think of science as really black and white? Because I think about even, you know, the, the obvious example is uh, Socrates going against, I believe it was the earth was round and he was saying it was you know, well, they were the common consensus was that it was flat. He was like, "It's round," and everyone's like, "That's you're you're going against science, quote unquote, in that era." Uh, and so we're gonna kill you. 
that's to so to me like that's kind of an example of even even where things are quote unquote settled within science it seems like they're still always it's still always open to questioning which is why i think it's like so valuable because oh, yeah. even when it has quote unquote answers there's still room to be there's a better theory that comes along there's new data which oh, yeah. you know shows us well, more evidence thing. you always start with this one main hypothesis and you can go down and you can really explore that avenue and at, at one point you know it's you really think based on the science and based on the the data that you have back that really is the best suitable explanation for the question that you're asking but those things change as you learn more and more about what you're studying and as technology gets better and you as as time goes on you you find a better way to frame the questions and you also find a better way to answer them too because you have the better technology mm. but i think we can all appreciate that we don't live necessarily in that same time where they'll execute you for you know your beliefs of something like that but no, you know that's well, it's it luckily here in the u.s free but, speech usa but, uh, usa that's, that's right. right um but you know it's everyone has their opinion and nowadays everyone wants to give their opinion too so it's there's always going to be the flat earthers the for sure the chemtrail you know people and oh, yeah i've met them they're right. out there so it's i mean and and they are allowed to have their opinion too but when you don't do the research that's what really bothers me if you have an argument and you've done research and you really thought about it instead of just looking at these conspiracy theories on instagram or whatever it is you sure, know that's like sure. <laughs> dipping into the sports world a little bit like kyrie irving and uh jj reddick had a podcast that they were talking about the same thing really like, chemtrails and flat earth and all this and were they debating or was it uh just i, I, don't I know was kyrie's a like, flat earther but yeah yeah jj reddick went to i mean well, they, they both, both went, went to duke, duke but right. i think jj had a few more years at duke um well yeah and they both kind of I, I don't think he believed in, in the flat earth theory or anything but it, it was just kind of 10 minutes of, of bullshit of them talking about a lot of Kyrie Irving's uh, theories were based on Instagram accounts and these things. And it's like that—that that doesn't seem really to be a good, a good way to do your research. That's um, that's what's so tricky is that because there's no gatekeepers anymore. All you have to do is sign up and make an account, and you can start proclaiming facts and not actually do any of the research. Mm -hmm. But it also opens it up in the other way where there's all these really talented people who, because they didn't have the access to the resources, are now able to actually disseminate really important uh, truthful information in in a way that's you know cheap and efficient for sure and so that's where it gets really hard because it's you everyone's on an equal playing field then it's up to you to try and decipher who the actual truthful voices coming through all the chaos are oh yeah well and at the same time just having those avenues you know having the instagrams and the social media is it can be a really good and a bad thing especially for the science community just when NASA leaks or um, once once they get this data back in these like really odd, inspiring images, you know, it, that is an awesome avenue because for NASA that that really provides the taxpayers with feedback that, hey, we really are doing some cool things as um, even though you don't know about most of the stuff, we still are getting this this data back and we're there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going on that they're learning so the, the general public just isn't that's why life can be so attractive and sexy because the like discovering life is something anybody can latch on to and be like that's an amazing scientific jump mm -hmm. when you're talking about you know we found a new type of moon dust on jupiter's you know third moon or whatever that isn't nearly as sexy and exciting to the general public right um so that's why i think i think part of the reason why life is so this seems to be such a goal of space exploration is because you can get the public behind it and then they're willing to put their tax dollars into it and NASA sure. can keep going. Right. And then that, that allows for NASA to really build the technology and keep growing their technology. And, and that in turn then feeds right back into it. And because there's better technology that they've flown, they're right. able to use that on the next mission or an upgraded version where they can just learn more and more. And I think that's why, I mean, you see, like it started 
really space exploration with like the Voyager and Voy Voyager one and Voyager two spacecrafts, which are currently still out in deep space. They're in interstellar space right Whoa. now where they were launched in, I think it might've been 1980 or so, maybe late seventies. Wow. Uh, I believe they just had like a 40 year anniversary and they're still sending back data. Uh, very like infrequently, but they still do get data back every once in a bit. Wow. So it's, like that's to me that's so unbelievable and those guys that worked on voyager and even the guys you know everyone who worked to get man in space they're they're ultimately the ones that set up the propulsion systems in order to succeed and get these rockets up there which then in turn carry the spacecraft whatever it is and provides you know the launching pad for the spacecraft to really get going and, and get up there right and then i mean it's i bet a lot of the scientists that even put that up in the air you know some of them are probably dead oh yeah and so that's just amazing <laughs> that you know this thing they worked on can live past them and still be sending data you know after they die it's it's it really is yeah and the fact that they still have communication with it you know it's like that is so difficult just to think you know we lose communication with with friends, with family. It, like it's, it was over yeah. forty years. It's been up there, and we still been talking to this thing. Like it's our it's our best friend from you know <laughs> long ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and still yeah. finding out new new things. It's not like they're getting back really that much data. Well, they can't be getting back high res images or anything because they didn't no. really have you know high res. No, in those no, no. Times. But just the fact that we know, okay, it's it's still out there and it's still going. And for the foreseeable future here, we don't expect for it to stop unless it crashes into something. And at that, at this point in space where it is, it's they don't think that's going to happen. Oh, I mean, like eventually, who knows? It's more sure. it's more the degrading process of just being out there, and it, it'll. Isn't there just a ton of radiation just going on in space? Yeah, I think it's I, I could be wrong here, but I think it's past the point now because it's in, in interstellar space that it's it, it, most of the heavy radiation that it's seen is kind of past. It, it's it's already 35, 40 or 30 years past like wow. the main because it's just going further and further away from the sun now. So mm. there's less and less radiation as as it's going. Here. That makes sense. But that's the thing with that's the thing that really can degrade the instruments because um, the radiation will just penetrate through um, the thickness of whatever it is, you know, based on if, we, if we're going back to current examples of for the Juno spacecraft orbiting Jupiter right now, they the radiation is so intense at Jupiter that they have to for all their instruments, they have to have super thick um shielding on all their cameras and everything or else it'll degrade performance and eventually break it mm. and so that's why when they're determining mission life those are some of the main criteria of how you're trying to design your instrument whatever it is you have to really um base it on the environments it's going to see and so they use super thick aluminum or Tantalum is a another example of a metal. Tantalum. Or, what is that? Some kind of alloy? Uh so it's it's just is very it's a super dense material that doesn't uh allow for a lot of heat transfer really to go through. So it's um low conductivity and um it it's a material they use often for radiation shielding for expensive and important optics or cameras those sort of things gotcha. or they'd use you know like titanium too it's like something that's dense heavy that that can really sustain and be strong enough to support the instrument while still providing the shielding for um whatever the instrument is gotcha yeah i'm gonna fix your mic real quick yeah it's it's been slipping thank you yeah. sip of water Sip that shit. We can edit and post, or I probably won't though, because you know, brings people into the room. It's like they're here with us. That's right. They know we're we're real humans. You drink water too? Oh my god, he's like a real person. That's right. <laughs> um, so Cassini, they just 
it just had its like final voyage, right? Is that is that the one that just died? Or yeah. Retired? So sometime this this past summer, I think it was, or maybe even early fall, it took its final plunge into Saturn and and ended its life. But in doing that, they were able to take pictures and and really they tried to talk to uh, the spacecraft as long as they could in order to you know transmit data back as as much as they can and they were trying to really see in um, the environment and what Saturn's made of you know once you're above all the clouds of everything you have these instruments that can penetrate these spectrometers and things that can look at specific wavelengths and penetrate the surface and um, really figure out what's under there but there's no better test than really going through the atmosphere and and really collecting samples of of what's really there um so it's so are they taking like like heat temp like is it sending back data of you know heat is at this certain elevation off of saturn and then it continues to get hotter or is it air pressure is it's all as i think all of that you know it's they're they're really just trying to get a sense of what what saturn's atmosphere is really made of and the materials that are in it so they have different um spectrometers and instruments that will measure that as well as um as they're you know diving down they will measure temperature and um really anything like a magnetic field and the amount of gravity all these things mm. um because you can you can tell through your instruments from afar and from above but as i said there's no better better way to really figure out something than diving you know first head into first it, into baby. it right? oh yeah oh yeah so that's so we haven't landed anything on saturn no so it's a very much it's a gassy planet okay so and because based on its its makeup it's it, it doesn't seem like it's likely and we don't really have as much intention to ever do any of that because it doesn't really have the same crust. It is a gas planet and it, it, so it can't harbor gas, what life. Is, what does that mean, gas planet? Like we well, have, so a, we have like, an Earth crust and that differentiates Well, you think us? of like Mars and you think of Earth. It's like we, we physically have a, a crust and we have like a... Land. Right. We have that land. We, <laughs> that we could land on, right? Okay. And, and go to, whereas... We know with Saturn that there's no way, shape, or form that we're going to end up going there or bringing anyone there because you'll die immediately. So they they literally don't have any land. It's all just a gaseous ball? I believe so, yeah. Whoa. Neptune is like the same way. Of I don't know if there have been any spacecrafts that have really studied Neptune really in depth, at least like NASA owned. Right. Um, but it's that same idea of ultimately what we're looking for is we want to figure out one, the creation of us and of our solar system and of the galaxy, everything. We want to learn that. And by really studying these planets and seeing how and, and really testing these hypotheses of how we believe they were made up, that helps really provide the building blocks to figure out how our whole solar system was built. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you study these things is because it just provides little clues to um, help you solve the, the biggest question, which is how any of this formed, how the big bang really worked and how, because that's for until the, the end of time, of that's going to be the thing that we're going to search and we won't ever really know. We'll always have these theories and sure. And we can only improve them and and at, at one point you know we probably will have an answer and but that question always keeps ticking on and it takes the generations of work from scientists passing the baton to new scientists passing the baton right in and all their all their papers and all their research that they've done right. and really like the scientists on the daily they are reading these different papers that are are there and trying to learn from the guys before them and so they don't make the same exact mistakes that right, they made right so you can just kind of build upon that mm. so that's why it's there's 
missions now moving forward there's the the mars missions for all the mars rovers and there's this mission called europa which is one of jupiter's moons that is an icy world so to say that we think could potentially have um life based on the the amount of ice and possible flowing water underneath said ice um so that's one that they're going to bring so there's definitely ice on it which mm -hmm. means there's definitely water but they just don't know really the makeup of everything based on because they don't have the right probe or the right you know spacecraft so they think right it's now. a different kind of ice or they they know that it's water-based ice well that's what they think yeah that's amazing and so but because we haven't been able to get up up and close and personal with it we it's, you can't really know for sure you can sure. see these signatures and these like the amount of the wavelengths that really omit and come off the the moon um and you can study those using spectrometers and different cameras and things but until you really go there and you send a probe down to get a sample to dive down through the ice you can't do anything about yeah. it and so that's why there's missions now that um i had a buddy who an, an old uh, roommate who went up to the arctic and basically they were testing artificial intelligence on this small little robot that would dive down and break through the ice and then basically float around, um, swim autonomously underneath the ice to really, um, because you need AI for it to make the right decisions, how to kind of proceed with what it's doing right. based on its overall mission or objective. Um, so there's, these things that are going on here on earth that we're, you know, we're trying to replicate uh, the environments that you would see actually at the this moon or, you know, at a different planet. So then once it actually gets there, it has the right parameters to mm. make the decisions necessary in order to fulfill the whatever it is, the mission they're trying to do. Um, so I know for Europa, I'm, I don't know 100%, but I believe they're at one time there were talks about um having a little probe that would go down there wow um, for the europa clipper mission to actually go and and study those things too so we'll see to you try know, and drill through the ice and and see if there's life down there yeah wow it's real interesting cool stuff i mean it's and you think of the amount of people that work on these projects because it starts as a proposal and a scientist or a pi principal investigator, you know, has this idea of, okay, I want to solve this problem. Mm. And then from there, it's a couple engineers and scientists work together to build a baseline of what they think the, the instrument, spacecraft, whatever telescope would be. And then from there, that gets picked up by NASA and more and more funding. They, they prove that's a worthy mission. And, right. and then more and more people, and then work on it all the engineers it takes to really build the thing design it and test it and analyze it and then everyone who works on the the whole um the whole rocket really to get it up there right yeah, you know yeah. it's there's just an insane amount of people that work on these things and then all the scientists afterwards when it's up there that are actually reading the data sure. and, and doing all this stuff and really making those decisions of what the spacecraft wants to do where it wants to look what what sort of things it wants to find. Um, so it's, it, it really takes, you know, a whole village to, that's to make one of these things work. I was going to say, it takes a village to fly a rocket ship, apparently. That's right. Wow. Um, it's, it's truly inspirational too. And it's probably me saying that as a nerd and nerd. science, yeah, nerd. science person, but it's all right. We're both science people. Don't that's get right. It twisted. Both matches yeah, the science. Exactly. So it it it's all it's all uh <laughs> it's all in how you how you say it. Sure. We've learned that from uh, this presidency, but yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's uh, man. There's just so many cool things that are going on. It's like you can talk about really the Mar the next Mars mission. That's that's going to be. Um, hopefully launched in 2020, the next rover that's going to go down and build off um, 
curiosity, the curiosity rovers findings and, and go from there. So, uh, do you know what year curiosity was launched or landed? Is it still uh, operational? Still operational. It's only gone. Like it's been up there for almost 10 years, I think. Okay. Um, but it's, it's only gone a few miles worth of distance really wow. in its whole lifetime. Um, so that's, that's a thing that you really don't think about is because we only have one of these things and we don't want to break it. <laughs> it goes insanely slow and it just moves at a snail's pace. Cause snail could, might even move faster than it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, because they don't want to break any of the wheels or they don't want to do that. They, we've, as NASA, they have already um, exceeded their mission life um, for everything that they were doing for Curiosity. So everything that they're getting now is just a bonus, and they're really just surveying this land um, based on where the rover was dropped. Not very know. much land, but no, but they're able to you know get a good sense of the Martian seasons and really the the different wind patterns and in dust storms like you know the martian actually the movie had yeah yeah um and that helps really learn and gives you the feedback you need for the next missions to one pick the the site of where you're going to want it to to land and explore and then two from there it's just it, all your science that you're doing is you you learn from the previous mission so it, it kind of gives you the building blocks of how you want to start um for your next mission that you're doing so um on board there there's a bunch of really cool things a lot of different cameras that are on board um they're going to be drilling rock samples uh and you know taking high contrast images of these rock samples to see really what they're made of and Hopefully that might give us an answer too to if there's life outside of Earth, um, because that could possibly give us, you know, if if we find through what uh, there's a Raman spectrometer on board, if we find that there is possibly life, you know, that helps dictate what your next mission is what you're gonna do, right? So it's it's very cyclical everything that you're doing because one finding really leads to the next set of questions as sure. you said which leads to the next it's, amount of findings so it's eventually we're gonna you know be god basically and we're, we're getting close we can control the weather and you know immortality's on the way at some point you know if that's a it would be quite a finding yeah <laughs> i but, think i think science can do it i got i got faith hey if if we don't science blow ourselves can, up then first who can, right well, yeah. Uh, well, Jesus, if you depends on who you're talking to, but we'll see. We'll, we'll Only see time will tell comes, for all of he us. He could come back. Maybe. I, I mean, yeah. hopefully, we're we're alive long enough to to see that. Yeah, day, there but. you go. If we're, we're we're immortal, we'll definitely see if Jesus comes back or not. So, if, get to, if get, we don't uh, burn our planet up before, yeah, then. nukes are scary. But we have bigger bombs that don't even get talked about. So, yeah. sleep well. Exactly. <laughs> Such a great way to end our, our Monday here. <laughs> Thinking about all the world's problems. But that's why the science community is really cool too. It Because, you know, the Chinese, the Russians, the Americans, you know, just a European space agency, all of these guys and, and gals like work together because science is bigger than than race then, and well yeah then race then, then the borders, country you know yeah, absolutely it, science is something that will always stand the test of time of sure um that the community the science community is one that really sticks together for the most part and yeah. except for military tech of course you can't be sharing, well, and that's, sharing secrets no yeah, yeah. and that's the ruskies that's different um but that's why they have, you know, these special secret satellites that are going up that are <laughs> doing their spying, whatever they're doing. Who knows? I'm we're, we're not paid enough to, to <laughs> learn about any of that. Um, but each has its place. You know, it, there's a reason that it's being created. And yeah, definitely. not everyone has to believe in what what the reason is. But still, with 
all of that comes the science and the learning that the community can still use for those who have the clearance to see what was actually built yeah um to use that on subsequent missions to actually help what you're doing so there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between the science and even the uh dod space or based missions what is because, D- what is that uh department of defense you yeah. know yeah. um because i either way you're really helping the technology whatever you're building sure. so it's it all feeds back into itself. Yeah. And we're the good guys, so we should have the bombs. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's good. That's they, don't, they don't give me the, the keys or the buttons <laughs> yet, you know. That's, but You know, I would I'd probably trust you with it. But well, that's a heavy burden. You have burden. a lot of faith. I don't that's know. a heavy burden, man. I'd be, people, I wouldn't want to. It would be tough to sleep every night. They just, they literally sit in the bunker, and their whole job is to sit at the desk just waiting hour after hour after hour and they go through test drills hour after hour after hour just putting the key in the slot and turning it and pressing well, it was the crazy like uh last week there was hawaii they thought oh, there yeah. was a, a a missile or something coming That's their so way terrifying man to get someone... that that text message it says you know missile on the way take cover you just don't like where do you go you start ah. calling loved ones you know just i think freak so out. you you go to your nearest luau and you just you kind just, of you, just, you, eat you don't and try you and fight it and... you just go down to the party i mean us in la here it's like if something was coming our way based on the freeways that we have i don't think we're getting out anytime soon either yeah i know but i feel like you got a better chance if you're like in a bathtub or you know a bunker of some kind oh yeah i think i i think they tell you go to a bunker okay so this brings it back to like radiation shielding a lot of these nuclear weapons have a high extremely high amounts of radiation and so you want to go into a bunker like that that is super thick metal whatever it is you know it's super dense and thick because there's less radiation radiation that will penetrate through see so it it all comes this is this is why we need to start saving money so we can build that town up in the mountains i won't reveal the location to the public for future endeavors but we we need a nice bunker that's you know, we need to save 40, all the, all 40 the concrete, thick. all the concrete we're, we're going to use for that, that wall lot. we're talking about, That's you right. know, yeah, maybe, maybe it. we could use that to, to fortify our, I, our bunker. I like it. I like it. That sounds efficient. It's a thought, <laughs> but just going back really to the whole space thing of that space thing. Yeah. That, that old space thing. Um, some of the coolest things are if, if you think about Mars, is Mars has an atmosphere like has really no atmosphere compared to what we have. It's only within a couple percentile um, of an atmosphere that that Earth has. And mm. so um, one thing that makes it so tricky to try and land on Mars, one of these rovers, is trying to actually slow your spacecraft down enough to land and not crash into Mars. And so that brings up totally different challenges than if you have just a satellite that's orbiting. Mm. Um, whereas for Juno or Cassini, right? All, all our mission is uh, as, as humans that build this is to, you know, get it there and to get it into orbit where it's supposed to be. And then, you know, hopefully all the instruments and everything works. And, but if you're trying to land somebody on Mars, that's like a whole new ball game of, um, basically trying to slow your spacecraft down sure. enough through this super thin atmosphere mm. that's already tough enough. So you just don't have, upon entry into the atmosphere, you don't have a lot of resistance because there's just not a lot of air molecules or whatever right. other kind of, so it's even harder for yeah, you to exactly. slow down. It's like we see all these feats that are happening with SpaceX right now, how they're able to launch their rockets and their their back. bottom stage is able to actually come back and land. So cool. I I think everyone can appreciate the amount of difficulty it is that Dude, they're able to do that and the amount amazing. of money that they save because Right. They can do that. That's the other thing. Is because flying, like, it's getting anything to space is expensive. Yeah. 
and if you the can more get, like one can... third of your rocket ship back right is essentially right? yeah is that it's... one of the more expensive parts probably well yeah i mean it's all expensive but <laughs> you know just the whole propulsion system and and all that is you know obviously a, a big big thing yeah. so it's the fact that we can do it on earth and we see how difficult it is to do it on earth and then we're trying to land something that albeit isn't nearly as heavy but sure is i think i think the last rover was about a, a ton maybe it's still pretty heavy right and the next one coming is going to be i think at least one and a half times that or one and a third times what the old one was so you have to further prove all your all your simulations and mm. and how you're actually going to land it so it was really cool for the last one what they did was um eventually they they try and slow the spacecraft with parachutes to start and then they actually have a propulsion system on board that will fire their thrusters basically and point them directly down at the martian surface to try and further slow themselves right, to right, right. you know some maybe 10 or 20 meters per second or something falling and once they do that and it, it's really they try and get it so the whole spacecraft is then stationary with the, the propulsion system going they have this thing called the sky crane which then lowers the the rover down um to successfully land it on the surface so there's one really uh, cool so the rover... one really cool video called uh it's like nasa's like seven minutes of terror um because there's it takes seven minutes to transmit data from mars back to earth so at one at one point you know either your your rover has landed or it has crashed considerably and is is done so you have that seven minute window of where you're basically in limbo not knowing if everything worked properly and all your cameras wow it, it really is like a split second thing that if something doesn't go off at exactly the right time that changes all your numbers and figures of yeah, of course. where they think or what the speed is what you know all these things are that it can't slow it down and everything can't do its job so it's, you're hundreds of thousands of miles away i mean you need to be millions so, millions i don't know yeah, yeah you're telling me great millions i was gonna say millions but i don't want to sound dumb um, <laughs> millions <laughs> of miles away and you, i mean you think about how precise you have to be to do that like even just think about like shooting a bow and arrow at a target that's 50 yards away and then extrapolate that out to millions and millions of miles and there's so many different winds and then there's asteroids that are coming to try and hit your arrow and it's such an amazing feat that they they do it at all and everything has to work seamlessly and autonomously to make it succeed right which at, at some point it goes beyond the human factor of yeah we can program we can do everything and if you don't program it right you know it, then of course there's room for failure but everything still has to go well in order to succeed yeah, that's need, what makes it so you need a little hard. bit of luck too right i mean i i there's some stat where i think it's maybe 25 percent of spacecrafts or, or rovers anything that's trying to land on mars there's only a 25 percent success rate damn because it's so hard to crack the code that is their atmosphere were there other countries that have tried mars landings or are we the only one i believe so i think there is like a I'm, I'm google I'm not it sure yeah i know nasa has had the most success well yeah of course america dude america do it let's see here mars rover missions i mean there's just really not that many people in the space game that's the other thing i mean it well, russia yeah but china's pretty new in, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it was us in Russia for like a good long while. And India is just putting their first rocket ship out. India's really coming along. They've, uh, I know of some people who ended up going over to their, um, basically their, their whole program out there. And they have a lot of really cutting edge, like really? technology to, to make them succeed so and they have you know obviously a lot of people and a lot of smart people who are there sure. too a lot so of engineers right so uh, 
because I can definitely see them as being a, a main player later on. And even the Chinese space program, there's a Japanese space agency too, uh, really? albeit smaller sure. because they're a small country, but very small. They, there really are a lot of, a lot of different countries that are in on it, just like different amounts of, of being in right, it. Right, right. So, That's uh, it. really fascinating that Japan has a space program because I don't even see how, I mean, you need a fair little bit of land to be able to have a space launching pad because you just got to think about the amount of heat and the flames and everything. You know, you can't have people within a couple miles of that, I'd imagine. No. And so, like, where do they have the room in Japan? It makes sense in China. You know, you have forever land. In Russia, we have so much land, too. But, uh, that makes sense why, like, Europe wouldn't be into it at all. I don't know if they just don't have the interest or I'm just ignorant. To um, whether... No, there's a European space agency and that and and there definitely is. It's it's just more as a collective instead of just having one country be, you know, the the main player. It's Got it. Europe as a whole is has their own space agency that they're they're able to do that stuff. So And they launch rockets and satellites yep. and do everything. No, and they're they're successful and, and good too. So cool. It's it's cool and just to even see like the international space station of the amount of diplomacy and that goes on there because right now a lot of times we're actually taking um russian rockets up to make it to the space station for manned flight um so we work hand in hand with with the russians that sounds like a conspiracy to me i know that's let's start one right that's how we that's how we created (laughs) flat earth (laughs) It was us and the Russians conspiring together. Doo, 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 doo. No. <laughs> I, I don't know. It could be. could be. If you ask them enough questions, anything can be true. That's right. Just look on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. You'll find. <laughs> Check out Kyrie's page. He'll, he'll show you. Conspiracy theories are us. Conspiracytheories.com. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not seeing the numbers here for, for the Mars landings, but um, I can show you a table of, the different spacecrafts and you can see there's a lot, a lot of red, red where it's a lot of red. <laughs> um, so based on that, I think it's, you know, around that 20, 25% range. Wow. Of, so it's, it's difficult. Um, and that's kind of the cutting edge of, Oh, one of the cutting edges of like where the aerospace game is going. I mean, interest in Mars is obviously huge with Elon Musk talking about Mars colonies and, and things of that nature. And just a quick talk about that too, like how it's really a game changer having him, even though he really doesn't, I don't think he puts that much of, of his money. Like he definitely does put a substantial amount of his money towards it, but a lot of it is, you know, government funded too. Right. But a guy who has a vision like he does, people can really get behind that. And he's, he's shown that there are some questions and some things that as in landing a the first stage of a rocket you know mm. bottom stage back down He's the first to do at, it at some point for a long time up until when he actually did it no one thought that was possible and then you see the thing coming back out. it looks like you know reverse footage yeah the thing comes out of the sky and, and lands and it is in there's this X for SpaceX, and it lands directly on that yes. X where it needs yeah. to go. And that, that's beautiful marketing. Yeah. Wow. Seeing some of that GoPro footage is really cool, too. Yeah. I don't know if you've, if you've checked any of that I've out. But just like stuff. seeing it that, that's actually on the rocket is... Yeah, actually, I did. I watched the Descent video on the oh, GoPro. Man. It was amazing. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, you really need someone like him to, to get behind in order to, to do those things because... People need a figurehead, somebody to rally around that's got a message. Yep. So, and and that's the cool part is, you know, NASA at some point will work with Elon to, he'll supply his main, you know, his Falcon Heavy rocket, whatever it is that that he's planning to use to get to Mars. And I mean, if we're really going to set up a colony, it's got to think it's going to be underground or something. But so you're saying he's the Martin Luther King Jr. of space. Is that a quote I would attribute to you? That is a Tooch quote. <laughs> Found here only on Tooch Talks. Fair enough. Fair enough. Comparing 
Elon Musk to Martin Luther King. I mean, it's that's it's a pretty uh, Martin Luther pretty King Jr. Bold day. And it, it is. I had to figure out a way to work it in, albeit a really R.I.P. But <laughs> yeah, no, of course, good dude. <laughs> well, we got a W first and Starshade on my notes list here. Uh, so W first is pretty cool. It's a it's a space telescope. Um, everyone knows and sees images of the Hubble Space Telescope because of how amazing that was and the amount of the sheer volume of data that we've gotten back of discovering different exoplanets and galaxies really just from from that alone. And its sister spacecraft or telescope going up is uh, James Webb Space Telescope that and that was a rocky road for them. I don't know if you know too much about it, but basically they started production in the mid nineties, I think maybe late nineties. It was supposed to be like a billion dollars. It ballooned and instruments didn't end up working well. And I think it ended up being some like $10 billion worth of, oh, so, shit. It, so now that's kind of like the baseline of costing for these projects. Um, we're a lot more conservative. NASA's a lot more conservative right now because... Because that blew their budget out pretty hardcore. I mean, $9 yeah. billion dollar oversight. Right, but James Webb is going to do some amazing things, assuming that it gets up there and that Works. nothing... You know, <laughs> there's still the possibility there's of a always rocket that possibility. and knock on wood that it doesn't do that. But that's not the amount of tech, the amount of tech that's on board is amazing and it just will build off of what hubble has already done do you know so, like the specific instruments or what its goal is to well it's just at? one one main space telescope and i don't know the the wavelength that it actually is looking for if it's a infrared telescope i think it i think it is an infrared um but it it has other instruments on board um basically that'll look in different bands of wavelengths really to so once you're looking out into deep space, you can use different instruments to see really what what's there instead of only having one shot at it. So like is an infrared telescope only looking at infrared or can you just have like a, a quote unquote telescope and then look through it in an infrared way and then check out x-rays, microwaves, whatever else you're going to well, look Well, so through? all of that's based on the instruments that are on board. So normally there's like a primary mirror, this the big mirror that you normally see, right? This this giant thing, which then collimates and brings the light to the secondary and tertiary mirrors. And it goes through this optical system where this light is basically focused then at some point and then gets redirected into the instruments that are there. So your instruments um, will be... Um, so for James Webb, there's this instrument called MIRI, which is a mid-infrared in instrument, basically. So it looks at kind of the middle bands of wavelengths for infrared. And then there's other instruments on board that'll look for other infrared bands, either mm -hmm. higher up past what the MIRI instrument's doing or, you know, lower down. So it's all, it's, it's all based on the instruments that are on board and what their specific design and goal is to do. Right. Um, and so that's why James Webb will be cool because it'll build off Hubble and we'll discover so much more. And then W first on top of that, we'll have something like a hundred times the field of view that and, and resolution that James Webb has. So all these, all these uh, space telescopes are going to be way better than the previous one. And you'll use, your knowledge that you have and we'll be able to point at these known areas that we've discovered and then hopefully we can discover more about them because one we already know where it is based on the data we've taken but we have a more sophisticated instrument now that can can help with that that's an amazing jump and it, it just seems to me like you know moore's law uh, in action just to the t where that's such a, a monumental jump to go a hundred times in what's for sure. A small amount of time in terms of like the human, uh, the homo sapien scale of, of humanity. Yeah. And, and you it's bring it back to it's the people before you that created the Hubble Space Telescope yeah. and did such an amazing job. Probably did. Some, yeah. 
um, are old, you know, and, but they paved the way and because they were able to really record down and document all their findings and their struggles of the past, then these engineers and scientists use what they've found in these previous struggles to, you know, try and avoid those the next time so you can actually succeed. Definitely. And a lot of times, you know, it's out of your hands of, it could be as simple as you're building an instrument and you drop a wrench or something and it, you know, drops into your whole instrument and messes everything up. Sure. Or the other way with science or, you know, penicillin getting born where you accidentally drop one bacteria culture into another or whatever the exact yeah. story was. And, and all of a sudden you have, you know, medicine. It's that's the beauty of science. It's, and yeah. And you never know what what it's going right. to bring and what it's going to hold. And right. so that's a cool thing with, you know, all the, all these technologies is that you just grow based on what it is and you don't really understand the ramifications of the technology like the guy who discovered penicillin to him at first it was just a bacteria culture that just started growing and looked cool you have no idea that it was a medicine for people because you didn't it didn't have the chance to interact with the the human you know biology and so i'm just trying to you know, bring that back to space. It it seems like there's got to be a lot of analogies where there's things that we're discovering now, uh, be it chemicals and and different things in the atmosphere. It it's gonna have massive effects going forward that we definitely can't even see now. For sure. And there's like a bunch of you know medical technologies of these small cameras that are used or mm. different ways that really different forms of you know science really help the other ones too, because there's a lot of examples of where something is used one way. And then as you were saying for like penicillin, it just kind of grows into really the solution for a different problem that we were, someone else was asking, right. but didn't know the, the, the answer to Right. It's like, and so that's again, why the science Jeopardy community thing. is so cool is because one thing leads to the next and it's really just about discovery and figuring out really the, new things that are out there that's uh, science is kind of like jeopardy and that like you you get the answer what you are looking for to be the answer and then it's a kind of up to you to figure out what the question is and, and mm-hmm. how you get to that answer for sure which is yeah so um, I, I guess alex trebek is should win a nobel prize damn it alex yeah. trebek <laughs> celebrity jeopardy uh, is, that, is, is that gonna be best. a uh Tooch talk? Are you gonna have some uh, celebrity Jeopardy celebrity in here? Celebrity Jeopardy right? in here? I don't know. I think I need to get a bigger space first. But yeah, yeah dream big. <laughs> Maybe dream one big. day. Yeah, one day. One you can day. have a different sort of spoof. You don't need to use the. Oh yeah, of course. It's been SNL. it's been used, but it's fantastic. Just go watch the old YouTube clips. That's Will right. kills it. Oh, man, too yeah, funny. Too funny. Um, what is a what is a star shade? So star shade's really cool, uh, because it. It really stems from ancient origami. So <laughs> what's crazy is it's basically this folded up shade that, so when you're looking at for these exoplanets or whatever it is, there's one bright star normally um, within their solar system that you're looking at. And that bright star normally has planets orbiting around it. But because the star is so bright, you can't see these other planets going around because they're very dim with respect to the amount of light intensity that the star gives right, off. Right. So this, I, I really recommend everyone go and look up Starshade because it's just really unbelievable and awesome to see in action the the animation that they've created. Right. But basically it folds out like, an origami does it's like all folded into itself and folds out basically eight times as maybe even like 20 times as wide diam uh diametrically Whoa. um and basically opens up so w first is going to point and starshade is going to be thousands of kilometers miles away right and basically it's going to point directly at the starshade the starshade is going to cover up the main Extra intensity light. of light yep. from that sun. And then that will allow for us to see, for NASA to see um, basically all the smaller orbiting planets around it. And so it, it just kind of gives you an avenue to 
block the corona of the sun, the, the extreme bright spot that is something like the internal like 60, 70 percent of of the, the sun. Mm. So if you can block off that amount, that gives off then the, the planets that are orbiting it are brighter than that exterior part of the sun. So it allows for you to actually pick up the planets as they're orbiting around the sun so you can see you can see them and you can figure out really what their periodic orbit is and and then from there you can tell more based on having the different instruments that really look to see the makeup of the planets and and those sort of things. So is the telescope and the starshade are they acting together are they talking to each other like using AI or is it scientists I say actually, we want to discover this i actually don't know i i think there has to be some sort of communication and some sort of feedback loop of okay we're looking at this and we need to make sure that it's aligned right, right, to right. this amount of precision in order to, got, to do again, it incredibly precise because you're talking about miles and miles and miles right yeah thousands of yeah. miles right and but it's it's so important in order to block the amount of light really to to make sure that we can do this science and you could do it without it and you'd have different instruments on board but it just really helps it helps with all your discoveries mm. especially of looking for these exoplanets and, and doing this sort of thing so it's what is an exoplanet exactly um so it's just basically it's planet in a different um really in a different galaxy of, of something that, that we, we haven't discovered. So it's it's a planet that's out there that has a sun, but we don't really know too much about it. So we it hasn't looked, been really characterized. We haven't looked at or, it. Right. Telescopes haven't pointed in that direction for long enough because space is so freaking huge. Right. That we've, we've only had telescope technology for, you know, what, 50, 70 years at most? Uh, yeah. And so... There's a lot to map. You think about how long it took for people to map out, you know, the globe and all the land that we have. And I, I think we might even still, there's still definitely undiscovered, uncharted, you know, jungles and things like that. Oh, yeah. And then the world is almost infinitely bigger than that. It's just, it's going to yeah. take, well, it's, it's going to take less and less time as technology gets better and we can just have AI point to it and figure it all out. And, and that's take another cool thing, too. I don't know if you've seen of AI. I don't know if it's a Spitzer space telescope or um, one of those that's up there now that basically Google's AI was able to take the data um, that anyone actually can go online and be a citizen scientist and like analyze this data to try and find exoplanets and other things. But oh, wow. Yeah. So anyone can be a citizen They're scientist. Like community and go and do outsourcing. It. You can actually use your science degree to for <laughs> yeah. something now, you know, <laughs> instead of saying you're a scientist, you I can actually be it. one. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely poke around. Um, I'll look at the pretty but, pictures. But AI and Google's AI, AI machine was able to actually point out and find these exoplanets that possibly could are have the kind of the signatures that we're looking for that are Earth-like. So that's a huge breakthrough that if we can use artificial intelligence in order to help sift through our data, that will make things substantially quicker and substantially more accurate and better can... for everyone because ultimately a machine like that is going to be way better at its job than what we are. Right. Because so, it can just go through tons and tons of data, you know, damn near the speed of light. Whereas we're just, you know, silly monkeys and it takes us quite a long time to scroll down on the screen. For sure. Yeah. Uh, pretty crazy. So I I looked up just the uh, dictionary definition of exoplanet okay. just for everyone here. And it, Hit me. All it is is a planet that orbits a star outside our solar system. Okay. So any planet that's out there that we find that's orbiting some sort of star that we look at via telescope that which is why the sun, the star shade is so important because it helps help us helps us discover those exoplanets. And based on that and based on the size and everything that we can tell about it, um, basically the wavelengths that it's emitting, we can have a rough estimate of if it is a suitable planet for life. Whoa. I mean, is as 
really as good as we can. It's you can't you can only tell so much information based on yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of the picture that's in front of you. Or and it's based on these criteria that we've determined that like are, distances from suns and things like that. Right. And the the size, if it's a rocky planet, just basically what Earth is, because that's all we know. That's really what we know that life. has life, so, right? So it's stuff that's like that. Um, but right now it's hard. We don't really have the appropriate instrumentation and telescopes up there, which is why James Webb and uh, W first are going to be really crucial because we don't have the instruments up in space right now that can tell us to a really to a close enough, you know, proximity of, of really the criteria we're looking for. Right. So we can't answer the criteria because we don't have anything up there right now. To be now. able to read it, the criteria in the right. first place. Because it's it's a constant feedback loop too. Of yeah. It's always ever changing and what what we're looking for is changing too. So well, it's, <laughs> that's what makes science fun. That's right. It's, we're going to find life, brother. Nah, someday. Well, you might. I'm not. I'm going to just drum and shit, but. Citizen scientist too. Citizen scientist. That's right. I'm going to go get on Google right now and uh, find me some planets. That's right. Give it back to all your viewers. Everyone, <laughs> everyone wants to know. You answer the hard hitting questions hard -hitting here. Yeah. Yeah. Give the hard-hitting science, too. Hey, man. That's why they love me. That's right. All right, dude. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. This is fun. And maybe sometime soon I'll uh, do it again. Do a little bit more research. and, and We'll uh, dive into some other topics. That's we'll right. We'll have some fun. Hey, man. Space is ever-expanding. So right. is the amount of topics that we can talk about. So I realized in editing this that I said something pretty stupid, which was that telescopes only were around for like the last 50 to 70 years. Uh, obviously, telescopes were around for way longer than that. Galileo was definitely looking through telescopes. And that was way before I or my parents or my grandparents were born. So chalk that one up to Tooch being stupid. I realized that in editing, I think... I was conflating telescopes and satellites, and satellites have only been around for about 50 to 70 years. So if I change that one word up, then I'm still right, and that makes my ego feel better. So anyways, sorry for being wrong about something. I'm sure it'll happen again. And if I don't catch it, let me know. Catch you next time. Peace.